Who's wrong and who's wronger? In this corner, followed by Millions James, the exploding unicorn, Breakwell. And in that corner, ignored by Millions, Steve Dosh, Rinko Lieber. Dr. Steve with both hands above the table, and that's James Breakwell. <laughs> you have no idea what he's been up to for the last few minutes. But uh, welcome back to Wrong and Wronger, where we have apparently kicked open the door and shown a flashlight in Breakwell's eyes, and I don't even want to know what's going on under the covers. James, I, I hate to ask this because I think I know the answer, but how are you doing? I love how you interrupt the countdown. The one part of this has to be semi-professional to just make completely inappropriate innuendo. But that's, I guess, I shouldn't, I shouldn't expect any level of professionalism from you at this point. I mean, we are the definition of amateurs. Not only do we not make money at this podcast, we actually yeah. lose money. So we should be amateurs, I guess. I guess we are what we are, and that depresses me on every possible level. <laughs> now, I don't think the listeners know what the countdown is. They're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah. So we, it, we we have two separate audio files which is and video files, which is why I can't see Steve, thankfully. We, we record separately on our computers, and then I have to join them up on my end because for some reason I put some time into producing this thing. Mm. And in order to do that, I have to sync it up. So we just have to count down from five to one. That's all we have to do. And if he can do that tiny bit, I can finish everything else myself. And today, <laughs> counting down from five to one was too much. Oh, I, I couldn't let a comment like that go. And I know the listeners have no idea what I'm talking about. But suffice it to say, Breakwell dangled something in front of me. And I, I just had, I had to. I had to. Okay. So anyway, all I said, all oh I said God. was... <laughs> I, I I was toying with it myself or something to that effect because no, we were no. we were kicking around an idea. I was mulling a crucial editorial oh decision, and you took it in the complete opposite direction. Oh my god! All right. Well, that does transition <laughs> us into something. Uh, I don't know if it's any more or less controversial, but I did want to, and I know that you wanted to also while you were sort of contemplating your navel there. But uh, talk about why we didn't post an episode last week, because we actually did record one, James. We did, and we were our usual irreverent selves, and it was mm -hmm. it was no more inappropriate than anything else we did. It was certainly inappro less inappropriate than what we just went through for the last two <laughs> minutes here. But, man, it's just, you know, sometimes you, you, you make an episode, and uh, yeah. and things happen in the real world, and things happen in the headlines. And I've, I've dealt with this for a long time, that, you know, I've got a worldwide audience on Twitter and Facebook, and you write jokes, and every day you write jokes, it's the worst day of somebody's life. There's a tragedy yeah. somewhere, and people say, how can you tell jokes in a day like this? And usually I blow that off. But this time, nobody actually told us not to do it. But we happened to record our episode on the day of a particularly bad tragedy. And we made some jokes that were somewhere along similar lines that we never would have made had we known this thing was happening. And then the episode was going to happen, come out the day after the big thing in the headlines was there. And we just thought, you know what? There is no possible way. We can release this episode. Even though the episode had no nothing to do with the big terrible thing, 
it just it wasn't going to work. So now there are two episodes of Wrong and Wronger that nobody will ever hear. The one from yesterday, which if we played it 10 years from now, with no context for what day we recorded it on, you would have, you, you'd have no idea what was even yeah. wrong with it. And then yeah. the other one where I tried to record and my audio was screwed up and that one just <laughs> lost. We, we can't even release that one 10 years from now. That one just doesn't exist. Yeah, but they'll hear my voice. Oh man, that ah. you know what I should I should go back to that and just play your audio and respond <laughs> respond to it just fill it in as I fit. And people will realize who's carrying this show. Yeah, in fact, uh, people are starting to do the math on what the big hairy bad thing was. But we recorded the episode before that thing even happened, and then like a couple hours later, you texted me and you're like, "Did you see the news?" I'm like, "Yeah," and you said, "We got to scrap the episode." I'm like, "Yeah." Yeah, which is, you know, again, we're we're all for, like, free speech and tell jokes every day. And other, but this one, it just, it just, it wasn't going to fly. Just, even we have our breaking point and, uh, and that was it. But that, that, that's okay, because I, now we have all sorts of other new sketchy things to, uh, to discuss. Actually, <laughs> well, yeah. I actually had to rush back here to get here to discuss the episode that didn't happen with you, because I was out making yet another questionable transaction with some stranger in a parking lot. Oh my God! What have you not learned? <laughs> I, I'm leaving it open like that. So I've I've continued my uh, my quest to get things secondhand on Facebook Marketplace. And the other day there was a board game. So my wife and I played Pandemic, which is rather than being against each other, you're with each other. And believe it or not, that's a lot easier on your marriage than playing games where you fight each other. And after that, I was like, you know what? I wonder what the best cooperative game out, out there is. And so I, I googled it because you know the internet has to tell me what to think. And it was the the Sherlock Holmes game. I was like, man, I wonder if I can find that used and in oh, one search Jesus. in one try i found it for used but brand new like somebody had just like they never even they, they opened the package looked at it and closed yeah. it back up i found it for five dollars and oh. i could go pick it up the next day no shipping it's like this this is just serendipity clearly god wants me to have this game so i had to go out there and i pulled up into a target parking lot her, the lady's car was facing my way. My car was facing the other way. We pulled up window to window. I didn't even get out. She handed me a box. I handed her some cash, and I pulled away. I was in that parking lot for maybe 15 seconds. Like, if you were a cop watching us, you would 100% think we had just pulled off a drug deal. Okay, $5. If this turns out to go horribly wrong, I can see losing $5 and chalking that up to, I could have been a sandwich for lunch. But uh, you have lost far more with far less effort than what has gone on in that target parking lot. Oh, I, I will well, actually, say though, I have been on the other end of that transaction for large sums of money several times because I used to have season tickets to the Predators, the hockey team here, and I was yeah. on the third row off the glass. And so when I couldn't make a game, I'd sell those and those would go for top dollar. And I was always sensitive to the fact that the people approaching me had a lot of money on them, and they were expecting me to deliver. So I was always <laughs> concerned about their perception. Yeah, I uh, I wonder that. So when I meet these people for stuff, like sometimes I, it makes me feel better when I show up and like they bring backup because they're obviously scared of me. And it's like, <laughs> oh, that's I feel so much better because I thought I was gonna have to be scared of you, and you're you're equally worried. We're we're on equal equal foot footing of terror here that nobody trusts anybody. But what's the uh, your, your your comment about the tickets raises an interesting question. What's, what's the what's the most cash you've ever carried on you at one time? Well, I, I do know the answer to this. 
Now, the, the couple of times we bought a house, I've had cashier's checks on me for large sums of money, but green cash, yeah. and people in Canada have no idea what I'm talking about with green cash. <laughs> you got like all of that multicolored pastel Easter egg cash up mm -hmm. there. Speaking of Canadians, happy birthday to Judy P. James. Yes, absolutely. I actually, I wished her a happy birthday because somebody had reminded me, but they reminded yeah. me from 17 hours before. So I thought I had <laughs> wished her a birthday a day late. And so I wished her a belated birthday on her actual birthday. So then I seem like an idiot twice over. So <laughs> I have, I really have to redeem myself in Judy P.'s eyes. And I'm certainly not doing it with today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I used to travel uh, all the time, I'd always have a thousand bucks cash on me because Ooh. our credit our credit card had been hacked so many times that uh, I didn't want to get stranded and not be able to get a rental car, not be able to get a hotel room if our card got turned off. So I would always bring enough to cover what I needed on the road. How did you carry the thousand dollars? You used to have like ten uh, hundred dollar bills in your wallet. It was like inside yes. your sock or what? No, I carried ten one hundred dollar bills in my wallet always. And if you just and in fact, if, because I never spent it, because once I started having a backup, the credit card never got compromised again. So I never took it out of my wallet. Like uh, even when I was at home, I'd have a thousand bucks cash in my wallet. Can you imagine if you just like took it out in a counter someplace and left it? You'd be out a thousand dollars. I mean, I, I know, know that's that's nothing to you, but to to the little oh, people Jesus. out there like me, holy cow, that's <laughs> devastating. <laughs> that would have been devastating. And I, I was constantly aware of my wallet for that very reason. Yeah. So the most I've had, actually, it was my dad. So we, uh, when I was, uh, at, I think I had just left for college, or no, it was right before I left for college. I had switched from a Geo Metro convertible with three cylinders that got 48 miles to the gallon on the highway to a, uh, I, I, we, they found a Saab from a college professor Ooh. in town, a community college professor. And uh, it was $3,000. And that thing, it was so fancy. I mean, it, it, originally it must have been a thirty dollars or $40,000 car, which back then would have been a ton. But, you know, it had been on the road for a lot of years. thing had more buttons than a space shuttle. It had a turbo. It had leather seats. But, yeah, for $3,000, he wanted $3,000 in cash. So my dad had to go and get $3,000 and carry it there. It's like, holy cow. Like, what if what if you're holding this in your in your hand and you trip and the wind just blows it away? Like, there's no, there's no backup. Like, yep. once you get the cash in your hand, like that's on you yeah yeah no it's stressful there's no doubt about it i don't know how people who i remember my father uh did the books for bingo at the catholic church and mm -hmm. at the end of the night he would have to make the deposit and he would always go with another person trailing his car so there were always two of them so that he didn't get mugged because he'd have like a a bank satchel full of cash that he put in the night deposit box it's stressful was it so that he wouldn't get mugged or did they just not trust him? Was this like a fail safe to make sure he didn't go run off and start a new life? Well, we lived across the cornfield from the church, so he couldn't run far. <laughs> I'm guessing it was more to keep him from getting mugged. Yeah, it's, you, you assume he can't move, run far because he wants to take the rest of you with him. But I I can see the <laughs> elder Olivas being like, you know what? I'm done with this. I am off south of the border. See you, kids. And that's I know. That. My brother's just, uh, just horrible, yeah. horrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, so the most that I personally have carried, so my dad had $3,000 with him that time, and I was with him. I carried, I think, $1,500 once. So, uh 
the, I, I was a summer janitor um, it, after between high school and, or well, I was in college, maybe or late high school, one or the other. I don't know. My life's a blur. But anyway, this elementary school, they needed somebody to clean it over the summer, so I worked for this this janitor who wasn't all there mentally, and he used to send me out to run all of his errands on the clock. Like I go out to pick up his prescription medication on oh, the clock, geez. and like they wouldn't make me sign for it, or sh- actually maybe I did sign for it, but they didn't, they didn't make me show any ID or prove I was connected no. to this person. And one time he sent me to cash a $1,500 check, just a check he wrote himself made out to cash. And I took this in my janitor clothes into a bank I'd never been in before and handed them this thing with no ID. Or I I don't think I showed them ID. It was a long time ago. And they just handed me back $1,500 and I walked out. It's like, man, there is a, there is a massive flaw in this system somewhere (laughs) like this. I should not be able to do this. I was 60. I was was young. I was, I was 16 or 17 at the time. Like you should not be handing a child this kind of money without some kind of proof this is ridiculous that was a simpler time james yeah but i don't know i'd say it wasn't a simpler place though i mean this was my town growing up was kind of rough i know i was i was shocked when we moved to indiana and all the bank tellers weren't behind bulletproof glass like are you not are you not worried about being shot here are people just nicer and no they're not nicer they just uh they just don't care about their bank tellers as much apparently well wait where did you grow up I grew up in Illinois. You grew up in like a farm town, didn't you? No, there were 30,000 people there. It's a good size. It, it's actually, it is a very, very working class city. It, it's a, it's huh. a medium-sized city or small city, depending on your perspective. It's a small city with big city problems. Like we have, oh, and there, wow. there are all sorts of reasons for that. Like, and again, you, you would know some of this if you'd read any of my books, which of course you haven't. But the, it's I, like, for I example, read, James, for no. example, we had the second highest teen pregnancy rate in Illinois, and only Cook County, which is Chicago, beat us. <laughs> Chicago. We were second only to Chicago in teen pregnancies. Like that tells huh. you just kind of our our demographics. Like if you've got a problem somewhere, we've got it just as bad. Kind of like our <laughs> our city at one point, there were only two uh, two municipalities in the country in a recession when the market was really booming and we were one of them one time we had uh cnbc down the street from us because we had the worst housing market in the country and that's uh that's how i knew recently that the the housing market was definitely in a bubble because when houses in my hometown finally started to be worth more money i was like oh it's over you can't you can't you can't raise the price on poop and expect people to keep paying it and sure enough it looks like things are turning around now so that's the it is the canary in the coal mine for where you don't want to be Wow, and how old were you when you left that town? I mean, I still go back pretty regularly, but I, uh, I, I, I went to college from there, and you know, came back over the summers, and then I guess 2007 is when I officially moved out. Wow, wow, interesting. The things we learn about James Breakwell, other than by reading. Yes, I. <laughs> yes, by me narrating my book to you here, piece by piece. But that's why. That's why I have such incredible street smarts, Steve, because I grew up in a really dangerous place. Not only does oh. my mom, who still lives there, not only did she get chased by coyotes, like I, one day I she. Heard. One day, like within the last year, she got out of work early because there was a shooting next to work. Did I tell this story on the podcast previously? Not on this one. No. Okay. Man, shoot! I guess I got to be careful about what stories I tell on here now, or we're going to get a second episode that didn't happen. But this story, <laughs> nobody, no, nobody died in this story. Okay, it's a, it's it's a harmless shooting. So it's uh, they go and so she's she's there, and somebody, her coworker, rushes in. She goes, "Don't go out there. There was a shooting." So basically, there was a boyfriend girlfriend next to their their place of business that they were fighting. 
And uh, the boyfriend said something along to, oh, yeah, why don't you bring it? And his lady friend, well, she brought it. And she pulled out a gun and started shooting at him. And then he, I believe, dove into his car and started shooting back. Stop bringing it. Stop bringing it. Yes. Because, I mean, you know, in this place, everybody just happens to, you know, nobody is defenseless in this this area. You you bring it or ask it to be brought at your own risk. (laughs) It will be there one way or the other. Yes. (laughs) Wow. Uh, So there you go. This is... uh, Third world problems in James Breakwell's hometown. Yes, it explains a lot of how I am the way I am. We should we should just all be be grateful that I I survived to be here and waste these twenty five ah, minute sessions with you, whether yeah. or not anybody ever actually gets to hear them. No, but uh, your prowess on recording your uh, blogs now uh, was demonstrated in, with like bells on this week. As I listened to the whole thing in absolutely no time whatsoever, it was great. Yeah, so I, uh, yeah, I, I sent that out 30 seconds ago because I forgot. I, I don't know if you're making a reference to this or if you're just making a random snide comment and it happened no, to hit no, the mark. I, I, I never I know I, what's going on. Okay, okay, yeah, I, I messed up. I spent so much time recording the audio part of this, and I got it all done, and I, I sent out the email without it attached, and I couldn't even go back. So the great thing about Substack now is I can go back and edit, but yeah. I couldn't edit that because the only way I can put audio on there is if I created it as a podcast post and then just have oh. a really long description that happens to be the entire article. So I couldn't go back without deleting what I had already sent out. I couldn't do that, so I had to make a second separate mm. post mm. and uh and send that out and so people people will hate that every time i email people i lose a bunch of subscribers there's, there's a ebb and a flow i i gain subscribers throughout the week i add them i add them i add them and then i actually email them and they're like you and then i lose a bunch really so, yeah yeah it's uh it's kind of like a duck in the water it looks still on the surface but you know the, the feet are paddling and there's a there's a constant churn so i i have no doubt that uh that people will severely punish me for emailing them a second time oh, good but Lord. you know you know what there's gonna be like 10 people out there who listen to the audio version of that and they're like thank goodness i didn't have to read this week and so i took this hit to my subscriber <laughs> account for them I can't believe what you just said, the mechanics of how this works, works that way. Yes. That uh, You have to go out of your way to subscribe to your newsletter, and why would you not expect that you get an email when you've gone out of your way to subscribe? That makes no sense to me. I... I can't explain why people do what they do, Steve. They just, I, I've just come to accept it is the way it is, and it's best if I try not to understand it. I just accept it, and I move on. You know, outside of your uh, hometown stories that we sort of went off in a direction on, it said one of the stories you told earlier in this episode, and I won't say which one because I didn't want to spoil it, but it's interesting that you brought it back this week because there is a part of me going, what the heck did we talk about last week? And I don't want to retread something we talked about three weeks ago, thinking it was last week that nobody heard, but you did retell one of the stories. So now it is out in the ethos. But I could not remember what I had and hadn't said last week uh, with regard to just stories that have happened to me. So, James, I I could just spin tales all afternoon about things that have happened to me, many of which you've probably already heard and don't care about, some of which you've never heard and probably don't care about. You are being so vague and confusing now, even I'm questioning myself. I don't think I told... You did. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay. I uh, did so I, I retold the story this week from last week. I guess I didn't yes. I didn't Okay. Well then you know, I've probably over the course of our five years recording this, I've probably retold every story about sixteen different times. And I swear yeah, I've I, I would tell you if you did that. You you would not because you don't listen. You don't listen the first time, you don't listen the fifteenth time. You have no idea what I've told before and what I haven't. But more importantly, James, I don't care about yeah, this show you or you or anything. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I was thinking, do we need to retell some things from last week? Because there were probably some important stories and I couldn't remember anything we talked about until now I can't even freaking remember what it was that you said. It was about your excursion to get uh, the $5 board game. You, you retold something that we talked about last week. But anyway, was I it, couldn't get, remember if I talked about the argument I had with the contractor. I think I talked about that last week, but it might have been the one before that because it's been about a month that nothing has happened to our master bedroom edition since the guy had oh. the insane argument with me. But uh, did we talk about that last week? No, I would. I remember all contractor arguments. They are all near and dear to my heart because they make me feel better <laughs> about my own failings. So please tell the contractor argument story. God so this happened a second time. A second time. I had an insane, I can't believe I'm actually having this conversation with a rational adult conversations. Okay. So the first time it happened was the most egregious. It was the most irrational and confusing argument I've ever had with another adult. And I'll just give you the abridged version, which is this. So this is the guy that put our master bedroom edition on which okay. now it's still sitting unfinished because of this. So uh, he basically said, I'll change the numbers to make the story easy. I want you to pay me a dollar an hour. I said, fine. He kept track of his hours. I paid him a dollar an hour. And when he finished the bedroom as much as he was going to, he said, I can't believe you didn't pay me more than that. And I said, what? And he said, I thought you would pay me more because I'm doing a good job. And I said, I paid you exactly what you asked for. And he said, you're an ass. Uh, he finished the word and he stormed <laughs> off. And I'm like, I have no idea what just happened. The argument was way longer than that. And there were other insane, non sequitur parts of it that didn't make any sense. So apparently I'm an a-hole because he asked for a certain amount of money and I paid it to him. Never gave him any heat about his hours. Never, I'm always friendly to him. I bought him lunch. I brought soda for him. Like, I am not an a-hole to work for. I'm actually very easy to work for. I don't micromanage. I don't look over your shoulder. Like, I'm that guy. And I know, I, I thought I talked about this with you, James. Like You did not. If, if people in town look at me as some kind of rich a-hole, I'm like, let's pay attention to the word rich instead of the word a-hole. Like, I can pay you. <laughs> So just come and show up sober every day and you will make money. But apparently that's not the way things work out where I live. So that happened about five weeks ago or so. Last weekend, or the weekend before, so the weekend before our last podcast episode, the one that didn't air, but uh, Mrs. Steve's helper, the one that I, I sang praises about, Shiloh, the yes. one uh, my son had a little crush on, where I said, uh -oh. you do a lot worse than Shiloh. Like, uh, she texted my wife out of the blue and said, hey, I want some work. And uh, so Miss Steve comes to me and says, how do you want me to handle this? Because the backstory is Shiloh ghosted us the last two times she was supposed to work. So I said, I'll take care of this. I'm good with words. And uh, basically, I said in a very kind way, I just want to make sure if we agree on a time and a day, you will be there. Because the last two times, you weren't. 
And she, that apparently crawled all over her because she was like, I don't see it that way. I'm doing this as a favor to you on the side. This is not my full-time job. And you know what? I don't want to work there anyway because I don't want to be anywhere that I'm not appreciated. And I'm like, I don't know what just happened. But apparently, if you are in the contracting business, you have A, no social skills whatsoever, B, no ability to speak up during something happening, and C, you're the worst communicator in the world in general. Oh, and D, you have a hair trigger, and you don't mind who you go off on, even if you will now never make money working for a very easy person to work for for the rest of your life, because you're on my list. So... I really, despite all my, my claims that all contractors are awful, I really did think the problem was me and not them. But clearly, the problem is them. Or at the very least, the problem is both me and you, Steve. I love. Let me clarify one thing before we get any further into this. I know we don't have much time left, but yes, yeah. you definitely are an a-hole. And they were right about that. <laughs> they might have been right for the complete wrong reasons, but they were right. Uh, but I love that. I love that even the contractor who you love, the one you praise because she showed up and she worked so hard, yes. even she stopped showing up. And the thing is, these contractors, they, it's, it's okay if they don't show up. Just communicate say hey i'm not going to be yeah. here hey yeah. i'm doing this other project hey i triple booked because that's the nature of the industry but i'm doing this don't just say i'll be there today and then never show up and never text yeah yeah <sighs> you all have a phone you all know the english language so those are the two requisite pieces to being able to tell me you're going to be late or not going to show up yeah it's uh it's it's stunning. So I, I love that you paid the guy what he asked for and he got angry. I guess he was expecting like a tip or like that was like the starting point. And then he just I, there's no contract in the world that works that way. I mean, okay, so the other day when some, some guys took uh, – so they carried my washer upstairs and took the old one down. It was the end of their shift. They were exhausted. And I tipped him a 20. Yeah. And so my, my free delivery cost me $20, but it didn't cost me like $200. I was right. like, I'm just going to change the rate of pay. It's like, I will give you a small <laughs> amount of money on top of this. So I'm, I'm guessing that your contractor for the bedroom did not expect to be tipped at 20. I'm guessing he, he expected a bit more money than that. I don't know of any contractor that's ever expected a tip. Like that's not how it works. No. Like, Con I wish tipping culture would go away altogether, but contractors definitely <laughs> don't get tipped ever under any circumstances. Delivery guys, yes. Contractors, no. Well, because delivery guys don't have any control over their what they get paid. Like the contractor told me what he wanted to get paid. And I yeah. said, okay. By the way, he was a little higher than market value, just given what I know about where we live and what other people have charged. But I was fine with that. He does good work. And uh, I will... I will continue to say he does good work. I don't understand his thought process, nor do I understand young Shiloh's thought process, but if they would like to cut off their nose to spite their face, consp consider me spited. Okay, the fact that you're still going to recommend him is exactly ah, why recommendations don't work. So I, every time I've had a contractor who's ghosted me or just blown me off altogether, they always always came highly recommended and it's like there's no way this is the first time they've just disappeared there's no way so the last person got the same treatment and they were too nice to say anything and so this guy keeps getting work because there's nobody else out there to hire but you know what somebody came up to me the other day and they praised our addition not the other day it was quite a while ago and they said mm -hmm. who was your contractor and i said i could give you the name but I don't recommend them because they didn't finish the job. Because, Steve, I believe in honesty and I ended the cycle, whereas you just keep being part of the problem. And that is why you, sir, are, in fact, in a No, no. I will. <laughs> he does great work. 
That's not the problem. You have to pay him handsomely, apparently, and well above and beyond what he asks for in order to keep him happy. My wife speculates that the next, uh, the next thing up on the project list is to put aluminum siding up on the house. And she guesses he didn't want to do that, but didn't want to say no, so he had to make it my fault, which is why he had an argument that didn't make any sense and stormed off, and I've never heard from him since. But more power to him. We're probably going to end up going to the Mennonite Mafia and asking them for some workers to finish the project, but I just haven't gotten around to it yet. I cannot wait until the Mennonites also <laughs> turn their back on you, and you are left with an unfinished house <laughs> for the end of time. It's not out of the question. I have not approached uh, Don uh, Don Perignon. I, I don't know what the Mennonite uh, godfather's name is, but they they own construction around where I live. You, if you want something done and you don't want to go back channel off Craigslist, you got to talk to the Don. Then why didn't you go to them in the first place? Um, I don't. I don't. Uh, it doesn't feel like our jobs are the scale that the Mennonites usually deal with. Oh. The bedroom addition was sort of an afterthought. We originally hired this guy to paint inside the little cabin, and he just kept getting work because he was good. So I just kept, you want more work? You want more work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just kind of kept growing. The siding project is going to be pretty big, so that will warrant. The, the, the Mennonites put up our garage. Like the big projects, I don't have a problem going to the Mennonites for Anything that resembles a barn raising, huh? Way to way to lean into the stereotypes, Steve. <laughs> well, I guess I get, but everything is square and plumb, and I appreciate that level of worksmanship. Man, and you know what? We had so much fun grousing today that we are three minutes, four minutes oh. over our completely made-up, contractually obliged wow. time. All right, well, we got to roll out of here. I got to get back to work. James has to get back to what he was doing before we started. And until we meet again, and we interrupt a very important Breakwellian moment, this is Steve Olivas, Dr. Steve for James Hands Off Breakwell, saying thanks for watching, thanks for listening, and remember, as always, two wrongs can make a right.